Hello, everybody. Um, we're so glad that you could join us um, for today's Brown Bag presentation on um, charitable giving in the 21st century. Um, I am thrilled to have with us our presenter, Sharon Lincoln, partner at Kasner and Edwards, and one of the foremost expert in all matters, nonprofit and charities. Um, Sharon works extensively with nonprofit and charity clients on a variety of matters, including governance, organizational matters, and transactions. And she has a lot of experience practicing in front of the IRS, the Massachusetts Attorney General's Office, and the Department of Revenue here in Massachusetts. Um, and we are just thrilled to have her here today to share with us her thoughts and experiences with cryptocurrencies and NFTs. Um, and to teach us about the tax considerations and governance considerations that charities have to keep in mind when they deal in these kinds of assets and to learn a bit more about how the recent crypto crash impacts all of that. So without further ado, I'll turn it over to Sharon um, for her presentation. Thank you, Francisca. And it's a pleasure to be here with the BDA and uh, as part of the tax exempt organization section, which is, I will say, made up of a community of foremost experts on all things nonprofit. Um, so it's a pleasure to be here and to talk about this very current topic, which uh, when we were talking about it uh, with the BBA uh, tax exempt organization section back in the fall, the landscape um, regarding cryptocurrency and, and that particular segment of the economy uh, you know, was looking a little shaky, but it certainly has taken a steep dive since then with the sort of demise of a very prominent uh, cryptocurrency exchange, FTX, which I'll get to at the end of the presentation. Um, I don't want to jump ahead, but it's it's an evolving landscape. And that's one of the reasons why I think it's uh, important for charities, even charities that have not yet received requests to receive cryptocurrency donations. Um, to be kind of ahead of the curve on this one. So I'm going to go ahead and um, share my screen. Okay, so um, this is just the title slide and it's not moving forward. So I'm going to share something else and see if it works this time. Here we go. This will work. So what are we going to do? Well, I'll provide some interesting statistics about crypto, and then we'll go over what cryptocurrency is for those of you that may not be as familiar. Um, and for those of you who are familiar, this will be a, a kind of a, a general review for you. Um, what's an NFT? That's an acronym for non-fungible token. Um, what are the tax rules that apply? How do donors make and charities accept gifts of cryptocurrency and NFTs? What are some potential real life issues and risks? And then we'll, we'll wrap up. So in terms of crypto statistics, so about one in five of American adults have owned cryptocurrency as of 2022. Um, and that breaks down significantly among demographics. So um, over 50% of millennials owned crypto in 2021 compared to 20% of Gen X, 10% of baby boomers. Baby boomers were actually behind the millennials that that um, owned 13% of them owned crypto. Um, that just didn't really fit easily on the slide. Um, so it's, it's somewhat a generational thing as well. Um, 
Interestingly enough, crypto investors appear to be a little more generous with their charitable donations compared to um, the general investor population, with 45% of them donating $1,000 or more to charity in 2020. Um, Vietnam is kind of topping the uh, crypto adoption index, followed by the Philippines and Ukraine. Um, I thought this was an interesting bit of kind of trivia that the first transaction with Bitcoin, which is probably the most prominent cryptocurrency, took place in May of 2010 when someone in Florida negotiated to have two pizzas worth $25 delivered in exchange for 10,000 Bitcoin. Um, this established the first actual value of Bitcoin at four Bitcoins per penny. I had no idea that May 22nd was Bitcoin Pizza Day, but apparently it is. Um, in February, February of 2011, Bitcoin price passed $1. And then in 2021, Bitcoin hit an all-time high of $68,789 per Bitcoin. And Bitcoin has declined significantly in value over the past year and a half. But in November 2020, 2021, a pizza selling for 10,000 Bitcoin would have been worth uh, over $687 million. So that's a crazy change over you know, less than 15 years. Um, but the other side of it is the way Bitcoin is created or mined, as it's called, uh, Bitcoin emissions, according to one study, could increase average global temperatures above two degrees Celsius. So there's, there's another side to this that's not economic. It's the other side that actually happens in the real world and not on the blockchain. So what is cryptocurrency? So it's a type of virtual currency that uses cryptography to ensure transactions that are digitally recorded on a distributed ledger, such as a blockchain. Um, units of cryptocurrency are generally referred to as coins or tokens. And this distributed ledger technology uses independent digital systems to record, share, and synchronize transactions the details of those transactions are recorded in multiple places at the same time, and there's no centralized store of the data or administration functionality. And this distributed ledger technology is generally referred to as blockchain. So cryptocurrency can be a medium of exchange, a store of value. You know, you, you buy the Bitcoin and you hope like gold, it will help hold its value, which unfortunately for many, it did not in 2022. Um, a utility, it could be an asset pegged to a fiat currency. There are some uh, uh, Bitcoin that are not Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies that are tied to say the US dollar. Um, it can be a tokenization of assets or some sort of combination. Um, parties direct interact uh, uh, directly without an intermediary using blockchain technology. Uh, which I explained, it's a distributed ledger that verifies reports and settles transactions on a secure encrypted network. Um, the IRS has issued some guidance on cryptocurrency. One of the earliest uh, forms of guidance was notice 2014-21. And so I just copied there the, the definition that the IRS uh, provided, a digital representation of value that functions as a medium of exchange, a unit of account and or a store of value. And it noted that virtual currency that has an equivalent value in real currency or acts as a substitute for real currency is referred to as convertible virtual currency. So 
this is what this is a, an image taken from a really wonderful uh, website called Visual Capitalist. Uh, it basically takes data that's relevant to all sorts of different issues and, and presents it visually in, in very engaging ways. So this is part of a, um, a, a visual that they produced regarding blockchain. Just to sort of show those of you that are not familiar with blockchain quickly what uh, what it involves. If one person A wants to make a transaction with B, the transaction is represented online as a block. And then that block is broadcast to everybody in the network. And everyone in the network approves that the transaction is valid. And then the block can be added to the chain, which provides a, an indelible transparent record of the transa transaction. And then the transaction is made. Um, so those that like blockchain, like the kind of the direct nature, A transacts directly with B, and also the fact that it's broadcast everywhere. So there's a permanent record of what that transaction was. <clears throat> so what's an NFT or a non-fungible token? An NFT is a unique digitized certificate referred to as a token um, that is a kind of a digital unit stored on blockchain. And it can be the representation of something like a work of art, a photograph, a piece of music. We create an NFT of the Mona Lisa. It could be a game or a collectible. It could be an original digital creation that exists only in digital form. And it can also entitle the holder to um, certain experiences or contracts or other things depending on its use. Um, NFTs kind of live in this crypto world. They're purchased and sold using cryptocurrency. Um, once an NFT is created and stored on blockchain, all subsequent transactions are stored there and recorded. So what does an NFT look like? Many of us, what, in, what is an NFT? Um, that's Hank Hill, by the way, King of the Hill, a series from many years ago. Um, these are a few of some of the very valuable NFTs actually. Um, so I thought it would just be sort of fun for you to see them, not in the abstract, like just the acronym. Um, these are actually quite valuable NFTs. Um, the most valuable one, the most valuable NFT that's ever sold is on this screen. Um, I asked my son to guess which one it was and he guessed that it was the one that looked like it was made with pixel art and he was right. Apparently, there's a series of NFTs, CryptoPunk. This one was sold for $7.6 million in March of 2021, apparently because it's sort of an alien wearing a headband. Um, but going back to the previous slide, just for so you can you know, speak intelligently about NFTs at the next social gathering you attend, um, these two are, called, are from what's called the Board Ape Yacht Club. Um, the one with the um, the hat, the mustache, and the party favor in his mouth, that was the most valuable, that is the most valuable Board Ape NFT. It sold for $3.4 million um, in October of 2021. Um, this one is uh, a bargain by comparison. That one sold apparently 10 days ago for $609,000. Um, so that's Board 8 Yacht Club. And in terms of the experiences that can be 
that you're entitled to when you hold the NFT. Apparently, according to the Board Ape Yacht Club website, um, owning a Board Ape uh, is uh, entitled you to uh, members-only benefits, the first of which is access to what they call the bathroom, a collective graffiti board, and future areas and perks can be unlocked through, you know, participating on that particular website. Um, so there's a certain amount of exclusivity. Um, this is from the, uh, oh, I didn't put that one on. Um, this is called a Moonbird. That one sold for $21,000 20 days ago. Um, this is called a Cool Cat NFT. It's apparently this is a tired cat and it sold for $64,000 18 days ago. Um, and this is a little extra feature for if you own a board ape, you're entitled to get a board ape dog. So this is from the board ape kennel club. And that one sold for $43,500 yesterday. So there are, oh, and one, one other thing about NFTs, just to, when we go back to the bestseller, um, it's rarity that matters. So apparently there aren't many crypto punks that have the green skin and the headband or what have you. And, and there are a finite amount of these NFTs as well. I believe the Board API Club, they're like almost 10,000, but they're only 10,000. These other ones have limited runs. So that's where a lot of the value is. So tax rule, there are always tax rules that apply. And uh, there is guidance in the notice that I mentioned, notice 2014-21, that explains in Q&A format that virtual currency, including, including cryptocurrency, is treated as property. And this is important because there are different rules when charities accept fiat currency, like the US dollar or the British pound, um, and when they accept an in-kind gift, a gift of property. Um, so for charitable fundraising purposes, it's really important to keep in mind that gifts of cryptocurrency and NFTs are gifts of property. And so the rules that apply to a gift of property apply to a gift of crypto or NFT. So, you know, a gift of property is a non-recognition event for the donor generally, and the charity takes a carryover basis. Um, the donor deduction is generally based on fair market value. Um, I included in the slides <clears throat> certain adjustments. Um, so a gift to a the private public charity, private operating foundation, or a conduit foundation, generally the deduction is fair market value, determined as if it was sold on the date of the contribution. <clears throat> and then there's some technical rules there I won't walk you through. A gift to a private non-operating foundation. Um, that is generally limited to the basis or fair market value. Um, with some of these, and I'll get into this a little later, but with some of these very new types of digital property, digital assets, you know, figuring out the value though is, might not be very easy. Um, and these are just some, some rules with respect to gifts of uh, appreciated property, gifts of long-term capital gain, public charities, operating foundations, and conduit foundations are limited to 30% uh, of AGI, but there are exceptions to that rule. Um, 
these are the, just again, for general reference, um, the record keeping requirements with respect to uh, contributions and, and the substantiation requirements. This does become relevant though, because if you don't really know what the value is, and we'll get to sort of how to establish the value of these uh, items, but if, if, if the charity receives a very modest gift of cryptocurrency, is the gift between that zero to $249 range? Is it 250 to 500, which would require different sort of substantiation requirements, acknowledgement requirements? Um, because in some cases, especially with gifts of cryptocurrency that may not be so mainstream as Bitcoin or Ethereum, um, and there are, there are others, um, you know, how, how does a charity acknowledge a gift, like a modest gift that's in crypto or an NFT that maybe the donor got at a certain point for a certain value? But consider fair market value is the value on the day that the charity received that asset. So how do you, that, that's, you know, it's an issue that, that needs to be worked out. <clears throat> now, because cryptocurrency and NFTs are property, um, the, if the contribution deduction that the donor wants to take is more than $500 and less, but less than $5,000, the donor has to complete section A of form 8283. Um, and if the deduction is more than $5,000, donors have to complete section B, which includes an appraisal summary and obtain the signatures of an appraiser and the donee, the charity receiving the funds. Um, so with respect to Cryptocurrency and NFTs, you know, a, a generous donation in crypto very well could be more than $5,000. And so the donor has to get a qualified appraiser um, to vouch for the value of that property. Um, and there are very specific rules regarding obtaining a qualified appraisal in the code and the regulations. And uh, one of the qualifications for a uh, a qualified appraiser is that they have a track record appraising the property that is being appraised, but how long of a track record? And you know, with respect to the the NFTs I showed you, um, you know, they weren't around ten years ago. You know, people weren't appraising them for some of them even like five or six years ago. So that is a, a compliance issue. And referenced later on in the slides is the chief counsel advice, which conveniently enough came out this month that confirmed that for gifts of cryptocurrency, a qualified appraisal must be obtained uh, if you know the gift is worth more than $5,000, if the deduction that's gonna be taken, I should say, is more than $5,000. And then there's form 8282, which is the information return filed by the charity. If the charity consumes or disposes of the donation within three years of the contribution. Um, and we'll get to kind of policies that charities should, um, should adopt in connection with receiving these types of donations later on in the presentation. But if the gift acceptance policy requires immediate liquidation of 
all cryptocurrency and NFT donations in order to lock in their value at the time that they were received. Form 8282 will need to be filed in connection with each of those donations. And so the charity has to be mindful of that. Um, you know, many charities of which I'm aware don't hold their cryptocurrency donations in crypto. They just convert them right away. So um, these are important uh, filing considerations. So a little more detail on the Form 8283 qualified appraisals. As I noted before, it has to be conducted by a qualified appraiser with sufficient experience in that type of contributed property. It must be independent. And there I'm giving you the citation of that CCA that came out on January 10th. Um, it needs to be conducted in a contemporaneous manner. And uh, there are other requirements that has to be conducted for income tax purposes, um, date of the contribution. There needs to be you know, information about the appraiser and their company. Um, but again, you know, if the charity receives a donation of an NFT that, you know, maybe it's hot stuff now, but it wasn't around three years ago, where will the donor receive that qualified appraisal? Um, and that's that's something that the charity should have a conversation with the donor about because in order to preserve you know, a good relationship with a generous donor, you don't want the donor to make the gift that they think is super chair, you know, super uh, generous and then have it unravel on their end from the tax deduction standpoint. Um, for the charity, contributions are reported on Form 990 or Form 990PF, um, cash and non-cash contributions. Um, on the 990, you need to look at Part 8, Schedule B, uh, and Schedule M as well. So there for general reference. Um, so, uh, so how you know how do you accept gifts of cryptocurrency and NFTs? So you can use a donor advised fund, um, and a donor advised fund is. Uh, in some ways, a very efficient way to um, to receive these types of donations because the charity may direct the donor to do one of two things. Um, the charity may direct the donor to contribute to a donor advised fund that the donor advises, and then that donor advised fund will convert the cryptocurrency or sell the NFT into cash. And then out of that donor advised fund is a cash contribution to the charity. So that's one way to do it. And then the charity never touches the cryptocurrency and the conversion is done you know, at the DAF level. So the donor can get the credit for having made a charitable contribution to a charity, but effectively the donor is contributing to the DAF and then out of the DAF, there's a cash contribution to the charity. Alternatively, the charity could set up a donor advised fund and direct the donor to make the gift of the cryptocurrency to the donor advised fund the charity has set up and advises. And then the charity would direct the sponsoring organization to convert it right away 
to cash and then be able to make distributions out of that donor advised fund. So um, that that's one very kind of straightforward way to um, be able to, uh, uh, you know, get those kinds of contributions. Um, in terms of some other aspects of that, you know, the charity is one step removed from having to kind of transact with the cryptocurrency when you use a donor advised fund. The charity doesn't have to set up a virtual currency wallet, doesn't assume the risks of converting the cryptocurrency to a fiat currency, and doesn't have those reporting responsibilities, doesn't have to sign the form 8283, doesn't have to submit a form 8282. Um, the DAF sponsoring organization is the recipient on both ways of doing it and um, and assumes all those uh, reporting obligations. So that's a very streamlined and, and sort of low risk way to accept cryptocurrency and even NFT donations. Um, you can use an intermediary processor um, and uh, an intermediate processor is a purpose-built platform that works with nonprofit clients specifically to assist with crypto acceptance, operations, et cetera. So you're sort of outsourcing the work that you would otherwise have to do in-house, but that works as your agent, as the charity's agent, um, and can sort of take in the, the cryptocurrency donation and convert it and then give it to the charity. Um, there are a couple of technical issues using an intermediate processor uh, and you need to, a charity should be well advised to sort of look at the agreement that they might have with the intermediary processor or that the donor may have. Because if the processor is the agent of the charity, does that mean that the processor, which is sort of helping to fundraise for the charity, does the processor need to, to register as a charitable fundraiser? And, and the side issue is if it operates via an online platform, would there be any state registration requirements as a platform fundraiser? Uh, California has taken the lead on that one and is requiring those types of registrations. Um, if the processor is the agent of the donor, then, if the processor is converting the crypto into cash as the agent of the donor, then that conversion is happening while the donor is still the legal owner of the funds, and that could create a realization event for the donor. And if it's a there's a lot of appreciation there, that could create a significant sort of tax event. So use of intermediary processor adds convenience, but there are some tax issues with that. Um, some uh, crypto exchanges have a checkout experience that offers an automatic conversion that could be embedded into a charity's fundraising platform. And then the charity could just set up a crypto wallet and, um, you know, do it as a DIY, you know, accept uh, the, the crypto uh, directly. Whoops. Um, so, what is a crypto wallet? Um, on that. So a crypto wallet is uh, effectively, it's a place where individuals, charities, anyone that has cryptocurrency or an NFT can uh, keep their private keys that unlock the specific block on the blockchain that shows the value of what they, they happen to have. 
Um, they come in many forms, but they basically provide a way to protect the secret information that gives the charity control over its digital assets. Um, the flip side is if, if you, you know, don't use a reliable crypto wallet or, or you, you lose access to or information about those private keys, you lose access to those assets on the blockchain. Um, so there is, if there's not some sophistication with respect to using a crypto wallet within an organization, then it may not be the right way to go. So accepting NFTs. So some charities accept NFTs as part of their mission, like art NFTs that might be donated to an art museum. Um, as I've noted before, you know, with a direct donation, you know, how do you determine fair market value? Who's qualified to provide that qualified appraisal? There's no IRS guidance for NFTs. And, uh, you know, if the NFT is sold for crypto, then the charity has sold the NFT, it's holding crypto, it still needs to do that one other step to liquidate the crypto into fiat currency if it doesn't want to hold the cryptocurrency. Now, how can NFTs be valued given their unique nature? Again, I thought a little visual representation might be helpful to kind of illustrate the point. I found these four NFTs on this, they're all crypto punks, like the, the very expensive one that I showed you earlier. Um, they're very similar, but if you notice, this one on the far left of the slide sold for 300 is for sale i should say these are all on a i got them from a website that showed nfts that are for sale it's for sale for $311,000 there's one that looks really similar it's got the same hairstyle same skin tone wearing a beard but that one doesn't have the earring and that's only selling for $152,000. Now, to my untrained eye, they look pretty much the same. So why would there be, a, you know, why, why would one be worth nearly double what the other one is? And similarly, um, the other two, they're two different hairstyles and one has an earring. And I don't know if it's a hairstyle, the earring or both, but the one on the left is worth or is being sold for $311,000, the one on the right without the earring, only over $100,000, just over. So so how, how are they valued? And this is what their sale, like what they're being put on sale for. It doesn't necessarily say what they are, you know, will have sold for. Um, but the details with respect to these types of assets are very specific to the type of asset. Um, or to that type of NFT, and that can add some complicating factors. And, you know, the charity doesn't really know the value of what it's receiving as well when there are such nuanced differences. Um, another issue with uh, or a consideration with accepting cryptocurrency donations uh, and even NFT donations is blockchain is public and includes the public addresses of each transfer, but blockchain doesn't contain information about the individual or the ultimate donor. So it very much facilitates anonymous giving. 
Um, you know, you can have anonymous giving through donor advice funds as well, although the IRS is working on uh, creating more transparency there. Um, but, you know, if you set up a wallet, if a charity sets up a wallet and that ad, you know, that wallet address is known, then anyone can contribute to it, which makes it difficult for a charity to follow up and fulfill its, its you know, substantiation requirements to acknowledge the donation if there's no clear record of who the donor was. Um, and, you know, how do you report that on Schedule B? Um, you know, do you know who it is and do you want to be affiliated with assisting that person making a charitable donation uh, if you don't even know who they are? Um, some, uh, if, if a charity is requested by a donor to hold on to the cryptocurrency for a while, perhaps, um, does this confer a private benefit on the donor? I was talking with one attorney whose organization um, gets a lot of, uh, this is an in-house attorney, gets a lot of um, donations in cryptocurrency or requests to make cryptocurrency donations. And um, they will often receive uh, a request to for the donor to hold the cryptocurrency, for the charity to hold the cryptocurrency for a while. Um, and, uh, you know, there are circumstances under which that might confer a private benefit on the donor. You know, if, if the charity liquidated a lot of like the whole donation all at once, would it have a depressing effect on the value of the remaining cryptocurrency that the donor holds, for example? Um, also, if the last 12 to 15 months haven't brought this point home, I don't think anything will, is that there's a tremendous amount of volatility in this market still. Um, and that price volatility could leave the charity exposed in the sense that, um, and I think I get to this later in the slides, but I'll mention it now, if, if the donor makes a donation, say they, let's just say at the height of Bitcoin, they wanted to donate one Bitcoin. So that would have been worth over $68,000 for the charity. Well, if the charity held on to that, um, then if they that value would have gone down by more than half by today. Um, so a huge price swing. Um, and you have to look at holding that particular asset with well, what's provided in the organization's investment policy. If the organization has a very conservative you know, investment policy, does it align with that to hold cryptocurrency or certain kinds of cryptocurrency or that amount of cryptocurrency? So there needs to be coordination and communication you know, between the development side and the, you know, the investment side and the board overseeing all of this with respect to how to, you know, manage this very new kind of asset, which has a lot of acknowledged value right now, but has a lot of volatility as well. Um, <clears throat> so a charity's gift acceptance policy should address, accept, uh, you know, how to accept crypto, you know, especially if the charity is going to accept cryptocurrency donations directly. Um, 
if that is the position the charity would like to take, then the policy should specify which type of cryptocurrency to accept, <clears throat> when it would be liquidated, <clears throat> reminders and, and you know steps for how to do the relevant types of reporting, both to the donor as well as to the IRS. Um, if the donor asks for the, you know, would the charity be willing to uh, uh, hold on to the cryptocurrency for a while at the request of the donor? And under what circumstances would the charity be willing to do that? Um, there would need to be procedures to protect the nonprofit from security breaches, you know, hacking into the charity systems and, and getting all the information about the their wallet. And then once once the hacker has information about the wallet then and access to those um, you know private keys, um, they could steal them, take them, you know, send them to another account, and there's no way to get it back. In fact, last fall, there was a very prominent hack of Bill Murray, who had been part of an auction selling some NFTs, and um, hackers got into his a wallet, and they were able to steal, um, uh, I think, a few NFTs and some amount of cryptocurrency in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. And, you know, this is Bill Murray. He had a team that just pounced on that breach, and, you know, they were able to cut the hackers off. But even so, there was, I mean, I don't know what the postscript on that story was, but uh, it's very hard because once someone disappears into the blockchain, it's hard to find them. Um, engaging a blockchain analytic firm to analyze the transactions to determine if the contribution could be part of some sort of money laundering scheme, if the contribution is coming from a sanctioned country that's on the Office of Foreign Asset Control lists, uh, if there's reputational risk re related to that, um, that is a part of a gift acceptance policy for a charity that is accepting cryptocurrency directly, at least that's what I would recommend. Um, and also having in your gift agreement with the donor, um, the backup of a cash contribution, for example, if the charity agrees to hold the cryptocurrency for a period of time, but the liquidation value once the charity liquidates falls below the original pledge, the charity should ask the donor to make up that difference because the charity is agreeing to hold the crypto and taking on that risk, but basically the charity shouldn't, in my view, and should pass that risk of sort of a, a fall in the value of the donation back to the donor. Um, so, you know, again, these are some guidelines for using a current gift acceptance policy, the framework to evaluate um, both cash gifts and non-traditional donations, you know, who's the donor, totality of circumstances is the donation for the benefit of the charity or the benefit of the donor uh, in some sort of inappropriate way. Um, is a small amount of anonymous giving acceptable? Um, what's being given? What's the value? Can it easily be sold? Um, are the, is the charity set up to receive the digital asset that's being, you know, offered? Um, and you know other issues related to uh, the IRS filings. 
So it, it really is important to think this through. And it's important, in my view, for the board um, and a charity's leadership to be aligned with respect to how to receive as well as to manage these assets. Um, other considerations, you know, is the value of receiving cryptocurrency. You know, many of my clients have not uh, received offers of cryptocurrency donations. So if they gear up to receive those donations, you know, especially if they gear up to receive them directly, is it worth the effort? Um, there are environmental issues as well. Um, ethical considerations. I mentioned the environmental impact of Bitcoin mining. I've got a graphic on it in a few slides down, I think. Um, there are other ways for cryptocurrency to be kind of created. It's not this energy intensive mining that takes, you know, like hundreds of hours of uh, computing time and, you know, hundreds of computers doing it, special kinds of computers that are very uh, expensive and, and use a lot of energy. Um, Ethereum moved away from mining and, and has a different uh, process called proof of stake. So it's a lot more environmentally um, friendly. So the charity is going to establish a, a, you know, a cryptocurrency acceptance element to its gift acceptance policy. Might the charity only accept proof of stake cryptocurrencies? It's a consideration. Um, oh yeah, this is the graphic. So it's right here. Um, so this graphic again from Visual Capitalist shows this amount is the in orange is the amount of energy that the Bitcoin network consumes. It's uh, just north of the amount of energy that Norway consumes. And just south of the amount of energy that the entire state of New York consumes, as well as just a you know somewhat less than the entire amount of energy consumed by the world's data centers. But when you think about the number of people who are benefited by, say, the energy consumption in the state of New York, or the world's data centers and all the information that is stored on them versus the amount of people who are benefited by Bitcoin, which is only one of several cryptocurrencies, one could conclude that it, it looks a little disproportionate. So the environmental input, uh, so in terms of real life issues and risks, um, the environmental impact of cryptocurrency uh, is significant in some uh, sectors uh, with respect to some cryptocurrencies. Um, there's the anon anonymity of, of these gifts. Um, there's sort of the uncertainty with respect to value, um, the, you know, the learning curve related to wrapping your mind around this new type of asset and managing it, um, and the lack of familiarity uh, within a board or within the, the charity's leadership regarding cryptocurrency um, is, you know, another kind of hurdle. Uh, and, and to engage with this sector and engage with these types of assets without a baseline understanding could invite, uh, could invite, uh, you know, 
trouble. For example, um, uh, someone I know who uh, is an attorney in the Midwest uh, shared a story of a, a, a church, a religious organization that um, decided to accept uh, some gifts of cryptocurrency and entrusted the 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 wallet to one person within the organization who happened to be, I think, a new hire. And that new hire, having a monopoly over that crypto wallet, um, basically ran off with the cryptocurrency, used her access to the wallet to transfer all of those digital assets to some account that she controlled, and then she she disappeared. And the charity didn't have the records or the resources to even trace the anything related to that because there was only one person that controlled the wallet. And, and this raises another issue that this is an unregulated sector. So there are significant financial transactions happening, but you don't have the same kinds of safeguards that you have within kind of a more traditional banking sector where there is a lot of checks and balances and as frustrating as it may be sometimes to uh, have to jump through a whole bunch of hoops and take three hours out of your day to open up a bank account, at least you know where the bank account is. There are others at the bank that know that you opened up the account. There's a lot of transparency there. And there's also, um, you know, if someone did, you know, take funds out of your account uh, improperly, you're backed up by the FDIC up to, I think, $200,000, um, Another real life issue and risk that I've mentioned is just the valuation of NFTs and the need for evaluation and who's gonna give a qualified appraisal. Um, I mentioned this just now with the story about what happened to that religious organization in the Midwest. Um, you know, there's the cryptocurrency wallet in the hands of just one person within an organization is a dangerous situation. Um, and, you know, if that cryptocurrency wallet address is made public, then it's, you know, available to anybody who wants to give through the blockchain. And in fact, in speaking with that in-house counsel um, that does receive a lot of cryptocurrency uh, donations, uh, their cryptocurrency wallet address was released um, and they actually kind of, it's still out there, but they have uh, taken down that reference on their fundraising um, you know, page um, because they want to be able to have more control over uh, sort of knowing who is, who is donating cryptocurrency to the organization. And they would like to avoid donations from um, undesirable donors and they want to avoid you know, too many anonymous donations. Um, so these are other uh, considerations. Uh, sometimes uh, there are issues, this is sort of a niche issue, but um, some NFTs can uh, entitle the holder to royalties. But if you're moving from one kind of digital platform to another digital platform, sometimes the entitlement to royalties doesn't transfer. That's a pretty sophisticated issue. I'm, Sure, this is not going to be a, an immediate concern for most people listening to this presentation. Um, 
But, uh, you know, if there's uh, sometimes NFT assets may display images that don't align with the charity's brand. Um, so charities, you know, can can turn them down. Um, I didn't go into this in this presentation, but um, sometimes charities are approached by someone who wants to create an NFT and then sell it for the benefit of the charity. You know, you want to be very careful with that. You want to make sure that the NFT reflects the values and the, the purpose and the mission and doesn't in any way uh, kind of undermine that, uh, you know, in the donor community, in the larger community. Um, and then the volatility, you know, if, if you held on to your, uh, your Bitcoin in 2018, as it was going up, 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 and then held on to it white knuckled as it went down, your Bitcoin is worth a lot less now. And as I mentioned, there's a, just a lack of regulatory safeguards and, um, the very anonymous nature of the transactions on blockchain is, is going to be an interesting thing for the regulators to sort through. So in terms of volatility, so I, I'm not going to go into grand detail about everything that happened in 2022 because a lot happened. Um, but Bitcoin's value is roughly 25% of what it was a year ago. And this came as a surprise to a lot of um people who had invested in Bitcoin because Bitcoin, I should just say, is, is a limited digital resource. It's created through a, a very complicated uh, cryptographic process that takes right now a lot of computing power. Um, but essentially, that process only will result in 21 million Bitcoin. So that's the upper limit. So because it's a limited digital asset, the assumption was is that it would be a good inflation hedge, like gold, and that it would keep its value as inflation increased. But that didn't happen, actually. As inflation went up in 2022, Bitcoin's value went down. Um, and the decline in crypto values revealed that a lot of crypto firms were overextended. So starting in May, and, and there was, you know, there was a lot of, uh, like, a lot of hype around the beginning of 2022. There was a lot of advertising about how great cryptocurrency was and whatnot. And, and so from that very kind of peak, starting in May, to, you know, rather prominent cryptocurrencies failed, the Terra and Luna, um, the crypto, crypto lending firm Celsius filed for bankruptcy in June, um, I think tied in part to the failure of Terra and Luna. Um, a very prominent high-flying hedge fund that had kind of gone, gone in deep with crypto, um, Three Arrows Capital filed for bankruptcy and its uh, founders went into hiding. Um, <clears throat> right now, the it's now three hours capital is in you know receivership, um, and uh, apparently the the founders uh, purportedly bought a thirty million dollar yacht with firm money. So one of the things that the the folks who are 
taking Free Arrows Capital through bankruptcy are trying to do is find the yacht and get it back from the founders. Um, then the crypto trading platform Voyager Digital filed for bankruptcy in July, uh, claiming that it was undermined by FTX. Um, <clears throat> interestingly enough, that's still making its way through bankruptcy. It might be purchased by Binance US. Um, there's a little bit of um, scrutiny on that one because Binance US is, is not owned by any US interests. So there's sort of a, a national a national security kind of uh, layer to some of this as it's being played out. And then um, the massive cryptocurrency exchange FTX filed for bankruptcy and its founder, Sam Bankman-Fried, or SBF, as he had been referred to um, in the time uh, before he got uh, arrested and was kind of at the top of his game, um, he was arrested for fraud in November. Um, <clears throat> as it turns out, FTX let uh, an affiliate, Alameda Research, use FTX depositor assets to shore up its operations. Um, that's, you know, you don't use your client's money to kind of fill in for deficits on your operating expenses. That's just a, <clears throat> that's not, that's not allowed no matter what industry you're in. Um, so he was arrested in the Bahamas and brought back to New York for, you know, to be arraigned. Um, and then the crypto lending firm BlockFi lended, uh, filed for bankruptcy in November. So a lot came crashing down at the end of last year. Um, you know, what does it mean? Does it mean that cryptocurrency is, you know, all the great predictions for how it would uh, kind of be more equitable, uh, reach more populations, make sort of access to financing more accessible? You know, is that, has that all gone out the window? And is this sort of a has-been? Is it sort of like, uh, you know, like, the Beanie Baby crash from the 1990s when everyone was buying Beanie Babies because they were so, you know, there was a scarcity kind of uh, uh, marketing uh, approach to those particular animals. Um, but now, I mean, very few people are buying Beanie Babies as an investment. Um, and if it's any, any consolation, you know, I think the first such kind of big bubble um, was way back, I think it was in the 1700s in Holland. If those of you who might like history like me, there was a big frenzy over tulips because they were new in Europe and they were exotic and they looked different. And so there was over a period of a few years, this big bubble and tulips were going for, you know, a month's wages, six months wages. Everybody was buying tulips and then it crashed. And then tulips never regained their luster as a, a financial instrument ever again. You know, will will cryptocurrency become the tulip of the 21st century? I I doubt it. Um, I think what it has done is it has uh, provided um, some prompting on kind of governments to look into digital currencies. And I think over the next, I don't know how many years, there may be some foray by, uh, you know, fiat digital currencies. Um, and so we'll see, we'll see. Um, but yeah, the crash, to yeah. jump in, just wanted to let you know, we have about three minutes left, so. And I think I'm on my, up, but. almost my last slide. So we're all good. <laughs> um, 
So um, in any case, you know, but what it does underscore in this crypto crash, I did want it to be kind of part of what we talk about today, because just knowing about cryptocurrency, just knowing about NFTs and how to receive them as donations and what have you, um, is not enough. You need to be aware of and informed about the larger context. And because this is sort of a, a volatile context, you know, being up to speed on this type of digital asset, if the charity is going to be receiving it, I think is part of fulfilling the fiduciary duties of the board and the officers of the charities. Um, so to conclude, there are governance considerations related to accepting donations of cryptocurrency and NFTs. As I just said, the board and leadership should become aware of the opportunities and risks of this new form of digital value. So what do you do? You do what you always do. You know, be informed, be deliberate, don't take a formulaic cookie-cutter approach, have a policy, because it's this very dynamic sector, I would recommend reviewing that policy annually. Um, do things deliberately, be aware and alert. Digital assets require, uh, you know, attention to detail. So I am, I am, I think that's the last slide. Are there any questions? I think we did get one question in the, in the Q&A. If you want to take a look at that. Oh, okay. If you receive crypto from a Ponzi scheme, are you liable? Um, I think that if you receive an asset from a donor that may have been involved in a Ponzi scheme, like uh, if Charity received a donation from Bernie Madoff, that's a donation from Bernie Madoff, even though he had you know, that huge Ponzi scheme. That didn't make the Charity receiving the donation liable for the bad acts of the donor. So I think as long as the charity doesn't actively participate in a Ponzi scheme, in a known Ponzi scheme, uh, then there isn't liability. But I would say a good answer to that would be based on all the facts and circumstances. And if there's any concern that there's a Ponzi scheme involved, speak to your legal counsel right away. And is that the only one? Okay. That's it. Great. Well, thank you. I think we're right on time. So perfect, perfectly timed. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope everybody found that um, interesting. I certainly learned a lot. So thank you so much, Sharon. And thank you, everybody, for making the time to join us today. Hope you have a great rest of your day. My pleasure. Thank you.